Open your Bibles again to Ephesians chapter 5. Sometimes when a visitor comes to a church and has never really been to church, he's curious, what do they do? They often walk away and say, boy, you guys sure do like to sing. What kind of singing goes on out there other than at some big concert or in the bars? They don't sing that much, but we do, and we should. And that's what we're looking at this morning in Ephesians 5, and we'll use this as a gate to see what else the Bible says about singing unto the Lord. Ephesians 5, and actually this builds upon the previous verse, so we'll read verses 18 and 19 all the way to 21. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, <clears throat> singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now this is one whole sentence, so when we begin with verse 19, you'll notice this is a participle modifying what he has already said. And in the previous verse, he gives us a negative, do not be drunk with wine, and in the positive, be filled with the Holy Spirit. We looked at each of those in the last two weeks. If you were not here, please get the CD or turn, tune in online and listen. My point is, he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves, singing these psalms. They go together. If you are filled with the Spirit, you will want to sing unto the Lord. It, it comes naturally. It's the evidence of being a brand new person. Just like in the previous verse, don't be drunk with wine, people that get drunk often like to sing off-key, off-color, and they think that they can sing, but they really can't. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we want to sing unto the Lord in the right way. And you cannot truly sing unto the Lord in the right way unless you're filled with the Spirit. Oh, I know there are non-Christians that try to sing. In fact, I am amazed at how many Blatant non-Christians record Christmas albums about Jesus. I was looking at a catalog just the other day that came in the mail, and I said, she's not a Christian. She doesn't even claim to be a Christian, and she's recording Silent Night and these other ones. If you do not know Jesus and you're not filled with the Spirit, you cannot really sing unto the Lord as this verse tells us. Now, if you don't like singing to God, something is wrong. Examine your heart. You should want to sing unto the Lord, as it says here, with melody and also with grace in your heart. Some people will raise an objection, and I've heard them. Pastor, I can't sing. I'm off key. I don't have that gift. Other people do. I wish I could, but I can't. Sing anyway unto the Lord. You see, you're not singing to feel good like those that are filled with wine. You're singing unto the Lord. It's an act of praise and of worship. And I'll give you a clue. God is pleased with your singing if you're singing from the heart, even if 
your lips are singing the wrong notes, the wrong tone, the wrong meter. He is pleased with that. Like a parent is pleased to hear the little two-year-old daughter singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, touches the heart of that mother, of the father. Even though it's off-key and they're stumbling over the words, God is our heavenly father. He loves to hear us sing because we know that we're not the best of singers. The best singer on earth is nothing like the angels and the saints in heaven. God loves to hear us sing more than he loves to hear the angels sing because we're his children. Yes, we're not as good as other people or certainly not like the angels, but we will be one day. We will outsing the greatest musicians here on earth even the greatest opera singers that can blow the roof off. We will in heaven. Everything will be perfect up there. You see, God created music for different purposes. C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, once said, there's something about music that reminds us of eternity. It's also a means by which we can express our emotions. We can enjoy music. There's certain music that is not necessarily Christian music, but it's happy music. When I was a teenager, I used to love different kinds of music, and there was a kind of music played by a certain band, and they called it good time music. You'd hear it, and you want to smile and almost get up and dance. There's happy music. But then there's the blues as well. So you see, different music can express emotions. And it's nothing wrong with good music, a good opera or someone that's really talented that can move you with clean words. So it's, it's a gift of God's common grace to enjoy. But the main reason God created music was for worship. And that's what we find in the Bible literally from Genesis to Revelation, here on earth and up in heaven, to worship God. The Bible is a musical book. Just look at the middle book in the Bible, Psalms. 150 of them. And then you find many other ones uh, in the book of Revelation. In my devotions, I was reading that one in Isaiah 5. It says, here's a song about Israel, which is God's garden. And then you find Revelation 4, Revelation 5, the angels and the saints singing unto God, and we know some of the words of their songs. We find examples. Paul and Silas in jail, it says, at midnight, having been beaten, they were worshiping God by singing. We find David singing, of course, the Psalms. He composed more than half of them. Some of you would like to have heard Mary singing. Yes, she sang. Look it up in Luke chapter 1. When she uh, heard the announcement from the angel, she burst out in singing about how God had looked upon her with favor. Then there's that unusual uh, symbolic song in the Old Testament, the Song of Solomon. And it was meant to be sung. I wonder what that sounded like when Solomon sang it to his beloved. But yet, of course, it's symbolic of Christ's love for us. And we find many other examples. 1 Corinthians 14, the Christians there were singing together in church. But the best example, now you know what I'm about to say, the best example of everything good and godly is Jesus. Jesus sang. For example, 
He sang the Psalms when he went to the synagogue, when he went to the temple. It talks about the songs, the Psalms of Ascent, these 15 ones stuck in the middle of the Psalms that the Jews would sing as they go to a pilgrimage to the temple. Jesus regularly sang that, and Joseph and Mary would teach him that. Matthew 26, 30, when Jesus celebrated the very first Lord's Supper, it says he closed by singing a psalm with the apostles. And Hebrews chapter 2 also mentions Jesus singing. Wouldn't you love to have heard Jesus Christ sing? You know, that's one of the marks of a good singer is that he knows not just the words and the tune, but the mood, the attitude, and he knows how to sing it. And of course, that moves some people to tears to hear a beautiful love song saying, he really means that. Jesus really meant it. He'd have just the right enunciation, pronunciation, pause, the right tone. Everything was perfect. I wouldn't have been surprised if those blunt apostles would have stopped and said, hey, hey, John, listen to the master saying. This sounds like something from heaven. It was. One of the things I look forward to in heaven is hearing Jesus sing. He will be leading the heavenly choir and singing unto the Lord. Christians and angels will also be singing in heaven. Revelation 4 and chapter 5. Just imagine a huge choir. If you ever heard a really good choir, a big one that's trained, that they know how to sing. Have you ever heard Handel's Messiah sung by Christians that are trained musicians? Or a great orchestra of well over a hundred instruments like the New York Philharmonic. I used to sit in and love to hear great orchestras and choirs together. But the greatest is in heaven right now. Huge, perfect pitch, perfect tonality, not missing a beat. They don't even have to practice. They know it perfectly. Think about the music up in heaven. Some of us here remember probably the greatest musician ever to live in Springfield, Gene German, you remember him? The maestro. He had, of course, studied at a conservatory. He was a professional musician for 35 years, got saved. And I remember he could, he could get tones out of that instrument there that were unimaginable. And he all, did it all for the Lord. I once asked Gino, I said, Gino, show me something that uh, most people don't know. He says, oh, here's something. He took his 10 fingers and played a chord with 12 notes said, how'd you do that? He said, well, not many people can do it. I said, play me a song that has it in it. We spent hours and hours together talking about music from the Bible and music in heaven. He had insights. He'd say there are notes between notes. It's not just 88 keys. There are tonalities in between. And you don't just do it horizontally. It's vertically as well. He says, oh, he says, the, the, the gifts of music and how God has put so much in, we're just on the ABCs, you know, twinkle, twinkle, little stars. He says, oh, in heaven, the gift of music will just explode. And then a year or so ago, Gene went to heaven, and he's in that heavenly choir now, and so will we be, singing unto the Lord not restricted by sin or musical inabilities. And here's a lesson. When we meditate upon the music in heaven, when we read about it in the Bible, 
Our singing on earth should be like that. Our brother Steve Lawson preached a whole message on worship, and his point was, Jesus said, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and he said, Our worship on earth should be like it is in heaven, including the music. Study the music in heaven, in the Bible. It's God-centered, it's reverential, it's joyful. It's truly spiritual. Oh, there's one more great maestro, the greatest of all, is God himself. He created it. Did you know the Bible says God sings? Yes. Where a preacher? Zephaniah 3.17, it says, The Lord will rejoice over you with singing. Mm. That's worth dying to hear. And we will. God himself singing. And it'll echo throughout all the universe. And it'll outpace our singing, even the angels and the saints in heaven. God himself. By contrast, Satan once sang when he was in heaven. Did you know that? Before he fell, he's called Lucifer. And in the Bible it says he was also musical. He sang together with the other angels. Until he, until he sinned and was thrown out. He hangs around on earth trying to lead people to hell. He doesn't have anything good to sing about. Only evil things. So Satan inspires evil music for mankind that leads people into sin. So much of evil singing today is sexual or violent. Hatred engenders racism and other things. And Christians shouldn't listen to that. Be very discerning into what music you will listen to. Now, look at the verse again. Speaking or singing to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Now, I've done research on that. Is he given three different categories of music? Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs? Most scholars would say probably. Psalms, the word psalm actually comes from the Greek word to uh, meaning to pluck a string like a bow and arrow or a harp. And so that's why we call them psalms because they were usually sung uh, accompanied by the, the harps and the lyres. Or today, the guitar or violins. Second one, hymns. In Greek, it's hymnos or hymnoi in the plural. And that is usually reserved for songs directed directly to God. Look at some of the Psalms, for example. It says, O Lord, this, O Lord, we ascribe to you. In other words, it's sung directly to God. And the third one, spiritual songs, is often interpreted to mean what you call testimonial hymns. They're not directed mainly to God, but to other people. And you find various ones in the, in the Psalms like that, where David says, come to me and I will sing, unto the, sing about the Lord to you. And it's testifying what the Lord has done. So that's a majority view. Other ones, other commentators say, no, these are more or less synonyms, simply talking about uh, Christian songs in general. But it does say psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So another interpretation, I think it's incorrect, says... This is the threefold division of the Psalms in the Bible. And they say we should sing only Psalms. These were given by God as our hymn book. And we should not sing songs that are composed by humans. Maybe you've heard this or been in churches 
that say we should sing only the psalms. And they will point to this and say, well, there are psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And that's just simply talking about the 150 psalms. I disagree. Yes, we should sing the psalms. We'll get to that in a minute. But we should sing other ones that are theologically correct, composed by men and women that the Lord used to compose them. For example, in our worship, we should read the scripture aloud. But then do we just simply close the Bible and go home? No, I preach from it in human words explaining it. So you see a similarity. We should sing the songs in the Bible, but that doesn't mean we can't sing other ones based upon the Bible. Same thing with prayers. We can read out a prayer from the Bible, but then we also compose our own prayers. By the way, another thing is those that say sing only the Psalms, the Psalms say very little about Jesus. We don't want to leave him out. We need to sing about him as well. On the other hand, there are those that never sing the Psalms. And, you know, we have tried from time to time. Uh, last year, Kyle Klunick put together a Psalter for us and He's now moved on to another church, but we found it a little difficult to learn some of those tunes because it was all new to us, but personally, I'd like us to get back to singing the psalms. Why? Look at the verse. Singing to one another psalms and hymns, and that includes the 150 in the Bible. Next, notice what Paul says, how you sing. He says, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Now, when he says making melody in your heart to the Lord, he does not mean what some churches unfortunately take it to mean. They say, this means we should sing with our heart and our lips, but without musical instruments. Uh, the Church of Christ is like that. And various other very traditional churches say no musical instruments. And they'll point to this verse. And they say singing should all be a cappella without musical instruments. Well, I like to hear a song sung a cappella. At our conference, we sang one verse of a hymn a cappella, that is, without musical instruments. There's a time and a place for that. But you can't use this verse to say no musical instruments at all should be a cappella. For example, in the Psalms, they're mentioned various musical instruments. By the way, let me throw in my opinion on this. yes. Pianos, organs, and other ones, but be careful. Some instruments are so identified with certain kinds of non-Christian music, it's hard to incorporate that in Christian music, especially drums. Stories told years ago about a church that was struggling, and so they called in one of these church consultants that would charge like $1,000 for a weekend of advice, and the man said, I can give you advice right now. Drums, give me my check. No, I'm, I'm very slow to approve drums and certain other instruments because you see how it's associated with certain other kinds of music. It goes straight for the emotions and so on. But I have no objection to various other ones. For example, Psalm 150 gives a list of various instruments. Now, there are churches that will not only be non-instrumental, but they'll sing only psalms. And I wonder, what do they do when they sing Psalm 150? where it says, sing unto the Lord and praise him with this, praise him with the harp. How can they sing that a cappella when they're talking about instruments? So we're looking around different kinds of what the Bible says about music. 
Sing, it says here, with melody in your heart, sing it in the right way and mean it. Now let me get very strict on this. When we open our hymn books on Sunday and sing, if you don't mean it, don't sing it. Or you are bearing false witness to the Lord. You may even be lying. Do you mean it when you sing, My Jesus, I love thee. If ever I love thee, Lord Jesus, tis now. Do you mean it? If you don't, don't sing it. Or you'd be singing hypocritically. This is why, for example, some non-Christians, they may go and visit a church, but they don't sing. I knew a man came to this church for a while, and when we would sing, he'd just simply stand there and didn't even open the hymn book, didn't open his mouth. Because he wasn't a Christian. He, he knew he wasn't a Christian. And so he said, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And then later, he did get saved. And I noticed every Sunday, he would be singing with the rest of us. The point is, sing it and mean it. Even if it's old songs you've sung a, sung a hundred times, for example. For 25 years, I led uh, a worship service twice a week at nursing homes. And guess who had to lead the singing most of the time? Me. I'd bring a little karaoke boombox and turn it up loud, and I did my best. But we had a very small songbook, and we sang a lot of the same songs. One of them we sang every week. God be with you till we meet again. That's how we ended the meetings. But they love the oldies but goodies. But sometimes we get tired of the old ones. And we just mouth the words without the heart. Please don't. Look at the verse. Making melody in your heart. Jesus said that a wise man is one that pulls out of his treasures old and new. So we should sing old songs and even new ones. But also remember with singing not for our entertainment or because we feel like it. We're singing to please the Lord. He is pleased when we sing. Is he pleased with your singing? You might have a voice like Placido Domingo, one of the greatest opera singers in the last 50 years, but if your heart's not in it, it is music. Look, uh, it, is, it, is, it is simply noise. Look that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I have not love... I've become a tinkling bell that you say, hey, turn that off. You may have a great trained voice, but if it's not from the heart led by the Holy Spirit, it's noise in God's ears. Do you mean it? Sing hymns to Jesus as if he was standing right in front of you. He is right in front of you. He's here. And we should sing to him. What's that one? Don, maybe we can sing this again sometime. I sing a love song to Jesus. These are love songs to Jesus. He loves to hear that. He is here. And we should sing love songs to him. For example, I can give a couple of illustrations from many years ago. There was a best-selling song, I forgot exactly when, Pat Boone's daughter, Debbie, had a number one hit. He was top of the charts for 11 weeks, set a record. It was called You Light Up My Life. She was a Christian, and she later said, when I was in the recording booth, I sang that to Jesus. Jesus, you light up my life. 
Have you ever composed a love song just between you and Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm going to sing this just to you. Maybe God will put a hymn on your heart and you'll compose it for God. The verse says singing and making melody in your heart, not just the head, but the heart, the seat of affections and emotions. But it's not without the head. Think about what you're singing. 1 Corinthians 14 says, I will sing in the spirit. I will also sing with the mind. Do you sing when you're alone? Now, I don't just mean when you're driving down the highway and you're singing the country and western that's on the radio or the CD or the Bluetooth. Do you sing when you're alone? Do you ever sing hymns when you're alone? Fathers, do you lead your family in devotions and prayer and in singing? You should. Teach them songs. Last Sunday, one of the families here got the children together and they sang a little song to me based upon the Bible. And you know, you can think of songs like how you can sing Psalm 23 and other ones like this. Parents, teach your children good Christian songs that will stay with them for the rest of their life. Now, as I said, God gave the gift of music for worship, and that's an integral part of our worship services. It's not the only part. Maybe it's not even the major part. The preaching of the word of God may be the major part. But it's integral. We are to sing unto the Lord. Look how often the Psalms say, say sing unto the Lord for worship. Some people still don't get that. And here are two errors. Here's one of them that's not too common. I know a pastor of a fairly large church. And I say, tell us about your worship service. He said, we don't have one. And I said, but you're a large church. What do you do? He says, I teach. And he even went on to say, I don't preach. I just teach. And I said, well, what about music? Don't you sing unto the Lord in worship? He says, no. We use music just to teach theology in the Bible. And I said, you're missing the main thing in a worship service. What's the main thing in a worship service? Worship. And we also sing in worship. So that's one error, but it's relatively rare. Preaching is not a lecture, and our service is not just simply feel good, it's worship. Now, the opposite error are those that go and say, well, we use music for entertainment, religious entertainment. And you've seen this in so many churches. In fact, it's coming like a flood in most churches, so it's entertainment. And they don't even think about the words, and it's not unto the Lord. It's just simply to feel good. Now, let me add this proviso, though. I'm not saying that there are songs out there that you should never sing. I'm saying there are songs that are not appropriate for worship. They might be appropriate in other things, like, you know, singing happy birthday to someone or God bless America or Star Spangled Banner at a baseball game. There are some songs that are appropriate elsewhere, as long as they're clean, but they're not appropriate in church. And it's not just those songs, but the styles. I'll give you a rather crass example. There was a megachurch down in Texas, and the pastor had been a World War II veteran, and he was somewhat obsessed with everything military. He wore a suit that looked like a uniform, and everybody there is almost like, tension, here comes the preacher, and he'd march out on stage. You know what kind of music they'd be playing in the church before the worship service began? You thought you were in a time warp back to 1941. They'd be playing Glenn Miller songs, Chattanooga Choo Choo, and songs like that. I'm thinking, what is he doing? That was not appropriate in worship 
but he was so overtaken with militarism. Other people want to bring in other things from the world, and they say we baptize and bring it into the church. Sorry, that's not biblical. They're borrowing things from the world, and they're baptizing it and trying to make it Christian. They're actually desecrating the gift of worship. Unfortunately, this characterizes much of what's called contemporary Christian music. I'm not saying all of it, but I followed it for many years. It basically got started in the Jesus movement back around 1970. But a lot of it today is imitating the world, and it's sheer entertainment. Our brother Justin Peters addressed that when he was here a few weeks ago. He was saying, yes, a lot of the recent songs are very good, but he says... A lot of it is coming from a certain group, a cult, out in California, and they're using that to open the door to bring in dangerous heresies. I think Justin was correct. We should sing in the right attitude, but sometimes the wrong attitude is fostered in certain kinds of Christian music, and it becomes more entertainment and show off. Let me give you an illustration. Years ago, I preached for a whole week in a certain Baptist church in a small town in South Texas, and um, it was what the Southern Baptists would call a week-long revival. So I preached on Sunday every night during the week and preached again the next Sunday. Well, on that first Sunday, they had a certain young lady that was called up to sing a solo, and she sang a song, I think it was El Shaddai or one of those. Oh, she sang, and everybody was moved, and they gave her a big round of applause afterwards, and she just soaked it in. The next Sunday, the preacher had her sing again, and she walked up very humbly with tears and said, God's been working on my conscience all week. I sang that song last week for my glory, and that was sin. She said, I'm so ashamed. Please forgive me. And she says, I want to sing that same song now for the Lord. And she did, and there was dead quiet. It was reverential. It was very moving in the right way. It was guided by the Spirit. You see, there's a difference sometimes. You can just detect. For example, I'll give another illustration. One of my favorite gospel singers has been with the Lord a few years. Some of you remember George Beverly Shea. used to sing with Billy Graham. I watched Billy Graham on television from the 1950s until he died 50 years later. Bev Shea would always sing right before Billy Graham sang, but they also often had these popular Christian musicians singing, and I noticed almost without exception, these singers would sing, and everybody would applaud, even stand out in the, in the aisles and do like this, and that singer would just soak it in. Not Bev Shea. Bev Shea knew how to do it unto the Lord. When he'd sing like, how great thou art, or his eyes on the spirit, and he'd sing it, and then he'd just kind of bow and go and sit down. He didn't want to soak up the applause. The, he did not do it for entertainment. He did it for worship. When we do it for entertainment, that's stealing God's glory. And yet... Some new songs are really good. We have some in our hymn book that have been written just within the last few years. We need to remember the older ones and the new ones and get a good balance. Sometimes churches forget the old classics. I was talking to a preacher and he said, you know, I was visiting a certain church and 
after preaching, they had me meet with the youth group, you know, these teenagers and young adults, and I said, well, let's sing a few songs. So he said, how about if we sing A Mighty Fortress is Our God? They didn't even know how to sing it. They'd never heard of it. And he said, well, how about How Great Thou Art? No, preacher. They didn't know any of the great classics. And he said, something's wrong. On the other hand, there's some modern ones that are, I guess you could say, modern classics that will be sung for the next hundred years. My point is the words and the attitude must be biblically sound. What's the right attitude? It matches who God is because we're singing unto him. This is what you pick up in the Psalms, Revelation 4 and 5 and other places. They're God-centered. They're toward him. So often, look especially in the book of Revelation. Thou art worthy to receive power, glory, dominion. They're simply going over his attributes. We find that in the Psalms as well. Psalm 103, for example. Attribute to the Lord glory that is due to his name. And so what is God? He is reverential. He is filled with glory. Our songs should be reverential. Our attitude. Joyful. Loving. Majestic. Now I wish we had the tunes that David composed when he composed the 150 psalms. Or at least most of them. Solomon and Moses wrote one. But we don't have the tunes. Perhaps they sound like some Jewish music we hear today that has a a little bit different Middle Eastern accent to it. But we don't have the tunes, so we, we've had musicians compose new tunes. But the words should be like those in the Bible, God-centered, especially who God is. But also the, the Psalms and Revelation bring in not just the attributes of God, but the works of God. His salvation, his comfort, his guidance, his majesty, and many other things. What about choirs and solos? I've known churches that say absolutely not. Uh, the Psalms, you find examples of, of choirs. For example, some of those little superscriptions at the beginning that we usually skip over, it says, to the choir master. Well, if there's a choir master, there's obviously a choir. What about solos? Look at some of the Psalms. Some of them are sung in the first person singular. I this, I that. That's indicating David was singing it as a solo, and so should we today. Love to have heard David, by the way. Wonder what he sounded like. But they should never be for showing off. Let me give another illustration. The church I served in Texas was medium sized, and we'd have baptisms from time to time. And I still remember umpteen years ago, a lady, I guess in her late 20s, was being baptized by another one of the preachers. And she said, I'd like to give a brief testimony. And she said, as most of you know, I'm a pretty well-known contemporary Christian musician. I've had best-selling albums, and I've done concerts all across the country. But like so many others in that genre coming out of Nashville, I did not know the Lord. I did this for the adulation and the record sales and the concerts. That's what I lived for. And I thought this might open the door for me then be able to sing country and rock and all that. It was just a career move. And then she said, one day I was driving down the highway listening to one of my own albums. And for the very first time I listened to the words. And it struck me. I didn't mean those words because I didn't really believe in Jesus. And she wept and wept. And within a short period of time she became a Christian. And she said, 
I walked away from that because that was just entertainment. And she says, now I only sing for the Lord. Now, when you travel around the world, you'll find much variations. Um, in Japan, for example, or in parts of Africa, they'll have different ways of singing, and that's fine. As well, as long as it's biblical and in the right way. Here's something else tells us about how to sing. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks. You find that often in the Psalms. You find it in the hymns in Revelation 4 and 5. Now we should sing hymns of thanksgiving, not just at Thanksgiving season in November, but all year long. Do you sing thanks to the Lord? Are you sometimes so overwhelmed with what God has done for you, you just want to sing a song saying, Lord, I just want to say thank you and sing it to him. Why not? In a moment, Don will lead us in such a song. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord. He loves to hear us say thank you. You can almost hear his whisper saying, you're welcome. The section ends in verse 21 as a segue into the next section, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Just like earlier in chapter 4, he says, where a body and a body takes care of itself, we are to submit to one another, and he will give us examples in the rest of the chapter. Do you get the import of these verses? Sing unto the Lord to glorify him with the right attitude and when we do that the Lord is pleased and he smiles upon our worship shall we pray thank you Lord for the gift of music thank you for the Holy Spirit who can lead us in singing unto you in a way that will bring you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.